Welcome to a world of forced silence, a world where sound means death, and one family is struggling to survive long after society has been destroyed. They are constantly hunted by alien creatures that are remarkably sensitive to sound and are fast to move in for the kill. With a baby on the way and no way to fight these creatures, things are looking bleak in the 2018 phenomenon, A Quiet Place. I'm Connor Izagari. I'm Caleb Lugier. And this is Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to the 138th episode of the Filmgasm podcast. Just in time for the belated release of A Quiet Place Part 2 this Friday. We're digging into the original 2018 box office smash that took the world by unexpected storm three years ago. Let's see if it holds up. But first, we've got a pretty loaded rewind. I've got three updates today. One for episodes 906 and 136 that updates our ongoing look into the Saw franchise. One for episode 97 on Hellraiser. And one for episode 101 on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. First up, the recent box office gross of Spiral, which has been expectedly modest, has nevertheless pushed the total box office gross of the Saw franchise past a billion dollars worldwide. So that's pretty cool. Saw is now in the billion dollar club. I bet you love that. Um, yeah, I was really happy to see that. It's definitely holding the title of the most successful horror franchise in history, mainly because Friday 13 can't get out of the fucking courtroom. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's awesome. It's I love saw hearing that news. It's just amazing. I loved it. Yeah, definitely go see Spiral, y'all. It was great. Uh, you can check out our sneak preview on it after you see it and see what we thought. Next, an upcoming remake of Hellraiser has been bought by Hulu. The film is being held by David Bruckner, whose past credits include The Night House, The Ritual, and one of the segments from VHS. Interesting name. Uh, I know Barker has the rights back, uh, and he's planning a Hellraiser series also on Hulu. So clearly, he and Hulu have partnered up on this. Uh, what do you think about a Hellraiser remake? I'm mixed on the news because it's supposed to be like a theatrical release originally. And now I'm hearing that he got sent to Hulu. And um, I'm worried if that's like a sign of may not being a great script or maybe they just, the studios won't play in ball and the Hulu's allowing more freedom. At the same time, I do like the director attached um, with David Bruckner. I'm really very wanting much to see uh, The Night House. I think that looks really interesting. Uh, like what he said with VHS. And whenever the hell the new VHS comes out, I keep hearing about um so i'm, I'm mixed i'm tre- trepidatious it's cool that it seems like the right people are involved but i am worried about the move from big screen theatrical release to hulu well that's not necessarily a death sentence these days i mean back in the day you know direct to video meant it's probably going to suck but these days it probably does mean that hulu offered more money or more freedom and you know allows for a wider release i i, I don't i wouldn't consider that you know, bad news. Uh, I'm interested in the night house as well. I hate the title, but the trailer does look very intriguing. Yeah. I feel like the title makes sense when we finally see the movie. Maybe, but it just maybe. doesn't make sense right now. It's like, okay, the night house. Like to me, it might, they might as well have called it spooky house. 
Like it just it just sounds ridiculous to me. Uh, I'm just thinking of South Park, the startled house. Oh, I'm so startled. <laughs> the startling. <laughs> uh, yeah, Hellraiser. It's been a while since we've had kind of a you know quote unquote good one. Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess, like I said, having Brugner attached, and then you know Barker having the rights again does make me. Excited. Those are two really good names. One obviously being the writer of the book that this is based off of. So that's good. And yeah, we've suffered through enough shitty fucking sequels. Two of which were made by a very you know, not around anymore movie studio because they did not want to let go of the rights. Well, yeah, it is. It seems the right people like, feels like people care about the, the, the development of this one. So Here's hoping they get, you know, Doug Bradley involved. Uh, Amy, if it's just like a cameo, if he's not Pinhead, like, yeah. I'll take it. I mean, it's, what else does he have going on? He he could totally, you know, with the right people back on board, totally be down to come back, I, I think. I would love to see him as Pinhead. Absolutely would. <laughs> uh, finally, and we, we talked a bit about this on the sneak preview, um, original Leatherface actor Gunnar Hansen's book, Chainsaw Confidential, getting turned into a movie uh the story of the making of the texas chainsaw massacre is a crazy one and definitely ripe for a film and this is going to be cool yeah like her announcing preview i'm this is like the biography movie that just speaks to me i cannot wait for this to come out i was damn near jumping out on my couch in excitement when i saw this like headlining news on blade disgusting so i i cannot wait i will be devouring everybody casting news and <laughs> rumors and everything that comes out about this movie until it gets released to us oh yeah we'll be following this one pretty religiously on multiple podcasts this is a it's a big one for us uh so that's all for the rewind let's move into what we're all here to talk about so did you see a quiet place in theaters back in 2018 i did actually yeah right on uh, yeah uh probably one of the most amazing theater experiences i had because for once in the theater not a single person talked was on their cell phone everyone did exactly what they were supposed to they shut the fuck up and they watched the movie to the point where i was eating my popcorn and stopped eating my popcorn because i could hear myself chewing and it was kind of awkward <laughs> so i was just like i'm not eating my, i'm just going hungry for this movie fuck it I saw this at the movies as well. This was back in 2018 when I was working at Alamo Draft House and got free movies. So I was seeing everything. Uh, I, the turnout for this had been insane. Uh, I hated delivering food in this theater because it's so damn quiet and you can hear everything. And I had to walk up to people and be like, um, who had the burger? I've got a burger here. Uh, I got I got fries. I got a uh, not, Chips and queso. Who had the chips and queso? It got so obnoxious. It was horrible. I hated it so much. So <laughs> when I finally got to see it for myself, I was expecting, you know, a lot. I was expecting, like, you know, why is this always loaded? Why is so? Why are so many people seeing this movie? And I went and saw it with a uh, former friend of mine, and it was just a bummer. I didn't dig it at all. I was like, this is the movie everyone's freaking out about. Why? I thought it was boring. I thought it didn't really have a decent story. I thought it had a lot of plot holes. 
And I walked out of there disappointed. And I watched it for the second time for this podcast, and my opinion did not change. So I am writing this off. My opinion also not changed, but I walked out there like the majority of people apparently yeah. and loved it. I love this movie. I think it's one of the most inventive, ballsy opening fucking horror films I've seen by a big budget studio to um, come out by us. And the fact that like it's someone like John Krasinski that directed this, the guy he's known for The Office, and before that making it turn to more like action-oriented stuff and this was his director debut i was really impressed the performances were good uh it's definitely a well-directed film the production design sound design is great i just didn't get me i i thought i was hoping for it to be scarier i i just was bored most of the time and that's you know whatever is what it is hoping the second one's a little bit more you know fast-paced. Uh, some of the other reviews I've seen, I'm mean, comparing it to like the aliens of sequels. Apparently it's more action-packed. Oh, okay. I don't trust the tomato scores because this one had a huge, you know, critical praise and I didn't like it. So, I don't know. Uh, a Quiet Place was directed by John Krasinski, who also stars as Patriarch Lee Abbott. It's another thing. You don't know anyone's name. You have to look it up yourself. Uh, it didn't bother me too much. I, I couldn't connect to these people if I didn't know who they were. It was that kind of thing for me? I don't know. I might've been a little bitter about, you know, having to deliver food in here super quietly, <laughs> but the second watch proved that no, it is for me. It's the movie. <laughs> uh, this was Krasinski's directorial debut. He became famous for his role as Jim Halpert on the office. He currently stars in the prime video series, Jack Ryan, and has appeared in such films as 13 hours Detroit, The Muppets, Monsters University, Away We Go, Leatherheads, and Jarhead, just to name a few. Pretty uh, pretty lucrative career. He's doing well. Yeah. He's currently um, the uh, fan favorite to play Reed Richards in the Fantastic Four movie for the MCU. Nothing confirmed. It's just what everybody wants. Yeah, that's, I've been hearing that, but I kind of don't want it to happen because we've seen what happens when we get someone like... Uh... Oh my god, I'm mind blinking from fucking Prox and Rex. He's Star Lord Chris Pratt. Holy god, we got a little. I, I think we've got a little too much of him, and he's become like a fan favorite casting for every fucking thing that comes out. Um, so I'm glad. I hope he actually kind of don't want him to do Fantastic Four. I know it's just fan casting right now, but you know, strange things have happened. Uh, and also, this might be a hot take. I was one of the few people that did not get into the office. It's. I know it's a comedy phenomenon, but I did not get into it. Um, I I do like his show, uh, Jack Ryan. I'm a big fan of that. Patiently, you know, or well, impatiently waiting, whenever the fuck season three is supposed to come out. But uh, yeah, I got into the office later after it had been uh, already ended. Um, I love it. I think it's hilarious. Uh, I like Krasinski. Um. I'd be totally cool with him taking Reed Richards. I think it's a good role for him. And I think that unlike Chris Pratt, people already love John Krasinski. People already you know he's already successful. He doesn't need to be, you know, everywhere. He is, he does what he feels is good for his career. Chris Pratt, I like his Star-Lord. I don't really like it anything else. <laughs> well, because he plays the same character in everything else. Yeah. 
And that's, I think, more on him than it is on the fans. Because nobody said, when, when Guardians of the Galaxy was announced, no one said, oh, it, it's got to be the schlubby guy from Parks and Rec. He's got to be the guy who plays Star-Lord. Nobody said that. <laughs> so That's true. Uh, I will say, uh, I never, I've always liked Krasinski. He was actually like probably one of the few reasons I would sit through the office. I thought his character was actually really funny. Um, what is it? Uh, he won major points for me this past week or last week. My days are getting all merged together. Uh, we well, was doing an interview for the upcoming Cry Play sequel and talking about like Harry, he thinks horror is the most exciting genre and the best, best place for uh, storytelling and that he loves writing for horror films he thinks it's like the most creative when it comes to writing and storytelling i was like is this an a-lister married to i you know another fucking a-lister technically not talking down on horror actually like admitting he likes it and that he's having a good time directing it that's sweet do you know how much money horror has made this guy (laughs) just in a quiet place one quiet place two is probably going to be pretty decent, I think, in uh, returns. Yeah, he's got a lot to that. You know, he has a lot to horror, and you know, according to IMDb trivia, prior to this, he was not all that into horror. He was told like, "I don't do horror," so he got this script and was like, "I'll do this horror." <laughs> so, I don't know. Uh, That's what he specified was that he did say he wasn't he wasn't big into it. So he did the first one, then he kind of was like. He actually gives the first movie credit for him actually getting into horror more recently. Fair enough. I do want to point out that back in 2010, he was the uh, he was on the short list for Captain America, uh, losing to Chris Evans. So MC, you know, Marvel's already had their eye on him. So I wouldn't be surprised if he does end up leading the Fantastic Four movie. <laughs> hasn't fan casting happened before? Like, hasn't it ended up magically happening in Marvel before? Uh. I don't know in Marvel. Uh, the only instance of fan casting I can think of is Jessica Chastain in It Chapter 2. Uh, oh, yeah. That was big. Um, I'm sure it's happened in Marvel. Um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I know we've had near misses, like the fan casting for uh, Jim Carrey as Carnage when Venom was originally being talked about as like its own movie, and then you know that never happened. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm trying to think. There's got to be one instance, right? In all of Marvel. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure he was. I, I like Krasinski, so I just don't want to get like an overload of Krasinski and then get tired <laughs> of him. <laughs> I don't think we will. He's, he seems like the kind of guy who picks his projects consciously, knows what he's getting into. So I don't think he's going to be, you know, he doesn't seem like a paycheck gig guy. No, because he, I mean, what I've seen him in, he does good. Like, you know, like I said, he was a highlight. And I, I know I'm not the only one that thinks it. Fans ever think he's a highlight to the office. You know, he's one of the better parts of that show. Um, he's great in Jack Ryan. I love him in that. He, I thought he was excellent in a prior place. So he did a really good job for using sign language as his predominant talking. He was really good. And, uh, you know, he rocks a mean beard. It's a nice beard he has. <laughs> Emily Blunt plays Evelyn Abbott, Lee's pregnant wife. Blunt and Krasinski are married in real life, and this was their first project together. 
Some of her notable films include Edge of Tomorrow, The Young Victoria, Mary Poppins Returns, The Devil Wears Prada, Into the Woods, The Wolfman, and Sicario. So she is, you know, probably, I'd say, more successful than he is at this point. Uh, she's actually the fan favorite to play Susan Storm in the Fantastic Four movie. So, you know, she doesn't like superhero movies, so that's probably less likely. Although, if Krasinski does take it, he could probably talk her into it. Yeah, and her, uh, what's his name? Uh, Joaquin Phoenix was against superhero films for a long time, and he agreed to Joker. I know it's like the antithesis of a superhero film, but it's a superhero film. <laughs> it counts. It counts. It counts. So, um, I mean, I'd be down. Um, you know, I don't, I can't remember if I really went on about her and Armory of but I've gone on about her and Friends. I just, I like Emily Blunt, and she's super hot to me, so... I won't be opposed to that casting. <laughs> I'm, I think she's a talented actress. Uh, she's probably the best part about this movie. Uh, her performance is very good in A Quiet Place. Yeah, she um, has a, when we get into scenes, there's like, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, right? But there's a scene here that just stands out to me with her very intense scene. Oh, yeah. Millicent Simmons plays Regan, their deaf daughter. This was her second film appearance. Uh, she really is deaf. Her first being 2017's Wonderstruck. She is appearing in the sequel along with the rest of the cast. Uh, she was really good, too. The kids were really good. I was surprised at yeah. that. She crushes it. Like, for being, uh, you know, you know, I, I'm, I'll go on and give them any credit for actually hiring a, a deaf actress. Um, but she she kills it. I think she's really good in it um, for obviously literally not being able to talk because she can't hear in real life, she does a phenomenal job. And I know when I was uh, looking up the, when the movie was first getting out, I saw interviews where uh, Krasinski and Blunt were taking uh, sign language lessons from her a lot to make sure that it was authentic in the movie. That's cool. I like that. Uh, Sorry, I hit my mic. If you want to <laughs> Uh, yeah, shit happens. Um, Noah Jupe plays Marcus, their son. Jupe, despite being only 16 now, has had a neat career, appearing in such films as Honey Boy, Ford v. Ferrari, Wonder, Suburbicon, and the miniseries The Undoing. So he's just kind of been all over the place. Oh, nice. Sounds like we have a future adult movie star if, you know, he doesn't melt down like some of them do. Yeah, probably could have phrased that differently. So it sounds like he's not going to be a porn star. <laughs> yeah, probably could have. But you know what? I said what I said, and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> Future adult film star in the works here. Future adult coming to a, an iPhone near you. Oh, that's fucked up. <laughs> a Quiet Place has an IMDb score of 7.5. Rotten Tomatoes score of 96%. Grossed a whopping $340 million on a budget of only $17 million. That is insane. Uh, it scored an Oscar nomination for Best Sound Editing and is considered one of the finest horror films of the 2010s. So why don't I like it? What is it? What is it? Why can't I figure this out? Why do I have to be the asshole? No, because uh, you kind of sound like the asshole. I'm just kidding. Uh, I agree. Well, I do sound like the asshole. and I don't know why. Before we get into that, I do want to say, because I know it's been quite known in my not enjoyment of the Oscars, I usually want to say that this is a case I absolutely think this movie deserved that win. 
It didn't win. Oh, no. nomination. Sorry, nomination. It absolutely at least deserves the nomination because the sound design is fucking amazing in this movie. What did it? What did it lose to? Let's find out. Uh, I'd be legit mad if I know this movie. If I know the movie, it lost to, and it's not nearly as good. Best sound editing that year went to Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> all right, I don't follow Oscars all that much, but that actually kind of pisses me off because this movie deserved that one. The other nominees were Black Panther, First Man, and Roma. <laughs> I haven't seen Roma, uh, First Man, but no, I stand by it. This film, because it relies on sound entirely to its story, yeah. it should have won. And because it, it, it does it expertly, it's this. I can't, I could go on all day about the sound design and editing this movie being just flawless. You know, I agree with you. I do think this film had more to offer when it came to sound editing, had more to prove. So I do think this did deserve the win for that year uh let's talk some highlights so this film starts out pretty damn dark um we're we're you know we're introduced to this world where people have to be very very quiet and we don't we don't know why it's not because elmer fudd's hunting wabbits that's not why uh (laughs) stoke season it kind of sounded like i was going there (laughs) Yeah, we just, everybody's really quiet, like forcibly, aggressively quiet, like do not make a noise or you're going to die. And there's this little boy who's not taking it very seriously and (laughs) grabs a little toy off the shelf of this drugstore and starts to play with it. And dad's like, no, it's too loud. Takes the batteries out very carefully, puts it down. Sister, who's like, oh, poor kid, gives the toy back. Kid, who's very smart, says, this is no fun without batteries and grabs the batteries. (laughs) It's very like this kid is not aware that the world has ended. <laughs> and they just keep walking with the little kid in the fucking rear for some reason. <laughs> and I love that bit though, where you're focusing on Krasinski and you just hear the whoop, like toy and you're like, fuck. They all are like, oh my God. And he just puts everything down and sprints towards the kid. I was, I liked that scene a lot. I, yeah, I love the opening scenes of this film because. You know, like, it's not uncommon when you're watching something indie, right? Like, and this, Josh, don't kill me. This is not a stab at trauma. I love trauma movies. But, like, trauma can get away with a movie like Toxic Avenger where they kill a kid very graphically and no one's going to bat an eye, right? Trauma. <laughs> you're expected yeah. to kill a few kids. Yeah. Again, not, don't kill me, Josh. I love Toxic Avenger. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> for the text thread that is about to happen, as well as the complete fucking slam in his next episode. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. And I'm not even trying to slam anything, but let's move on. Uh, but, you know, you know, that's a very indie, independent production. You know, Kaufman prides himself on being able to do whatever the fuck he wants, and it's why we love Troma and those films so much. Yeah. Studios, though, they love to... <laughs> enforce restrictions and what they think the audience is allowed to see and you know this is a big budget studio backed horror film at the end of the day so for them to get away with a scene like this and i know it's pg-13 you don't see the graphic shit but it's an intense scene like you the moment that you hear it and you're like oh no and you again because you don't know why what's going on right there's no establishing monsters or anything yet you just see that you hear the sound and you see Krasinski's reaction, which clues yeah. you in that this is not good. And when you see the monster just fucking boom hit that kid, 
out off screen, you're like, oh fuck, this is the movie we're watching. Like for me, like a big budget movie, I'm and so impressed and happy that they were able to get away with putting that scene in the movie, much less it be its opening. Well, I think that um, things changed a bit the previous year when it came out. And, you know, that scene also opens with a brutal child murder and a lot more graphic. So I think that because that was such a huge success, I think studios were a little bit more lenient with big budget horror films and what they were allowed to show. I, yeah, because I did. Yeah, I actually, because yeah, it does a lot more graphic. And I was surprised even then when they got away with that. Yeah. But I mean, what, what I'm saying is like, I'm happy that they, it and Quiet Place got away with that. Because I personally, I'm so tired of like, I oh, know we don't, we don't show, we don't want to show this because it might hurt the people paying to see the movie. I'm like, if you're paying to see this in theaters, you should know what you're going in for. Like, shred. Yeah. Like, you're like, watching yeah. a horror movie, horrific. That's why we have trailers. So people, you know, can watch those and make the informed decision of whether or not this is the kind of movie I would want to watch. <laughs> That's yeah. the whole point of a trailer. So exactly. I have no sympathy for people who wander into horror films not knowing what to expect because there's so many ways to know what to expect. Yeah, I go on expecting that hey, kids are probably going to die. It's probably going to be some animals dying. Like, I'm, I'm ready to see some horrific shit in a horror movie. So... I, I yeah I could this ending to me uh, not ending opening is um, awesome I am happy we between this and it that we got those kind of openings and a mainstream horror film I know it's great we get to watch all these children get slaughtered I mean where else can you see that <laughs> <laughs> you think someone who just really hates horror would like take the snippet of this part of the podcast and be like these guys are monsters Filmgasm <laughs> in no way condones child violence. But we do, however, find it hilarious. Um, so my big question about this movie is why not just live right next to a waterfall? Like if that, you know, if the waterfall masks the noise and distracts the creatures, makes them know big noise over there, there's probably nothing going on. Why not move everything near a waterfall and just set up camp there? Well, think about humans as a species. One group does it, right? One family does it. Someone else hears about it because somehow people hear about things still, even in the apocalypse. Next thing you know, someone else is moving close to the wall phone. And then next thing you know, feuds are happening and violence breaks out amongst the families. And there's many too many people moving to the waterfall. Like, come on. Like, even at the apocalypse, if apocalypse moves stop anything, is that humans are so greedy assholes. And what seems like a good idea will quickly turn into a bad idea. Well, to that, I say, in this movie, we don't know there's going to be a sequel. We don't know there's more people. This is it, as far as we're concerned. As far as they're concerned, they haven't met anybody else. So why would they think that there's going to be more people taking their waterfall? The only people, person they meet is that old dude who just straight up kills himself with an alien. Yeah, which also was another scene I really liked. That was a cool scene. Uh, I mean... And yeah, you could, but I mean, what other, there's so many movies that you could say that to like, why don't they just do this? Why don't they just do this? I do. That's the whole point of this podcast. <laughs> I do that all the time. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> but I don't count it against this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I think that that's a plot hole. I think there's no reason to be living the way they are when there's a big noise canceller right over there. 
we want to have half of the intense scenes that we have in this hour and a half long movie. Uh, the old man's suicide is interesting. Kind of weird. Uh, did he kill his wife? Is that why that, or did she die? Like, what was the deal with that? Uh, the it's not like the monsters got her because they quickly cut away. Like you see, like they're you know going below, and you start seeing the guts and stuff, like halfway oh, okay. the midsection. And they cut it's again PG thirteen. They cut, and you see the son's reaction. And it, to me, it was implied that they, the monsters where they are, they got her. And I forgot about the guts. So yeah, it's definitely the monster. Yeah, uh, guy was a dick. Just he's gonna take Krasinski and his kid with him. The guy was a dick, yeah, but like he's a dick, but you almost kind of get it. Like clearly, he he loved his wife very much, and did not want to live an old man in a ward like this without her. So he thought, "What's the best option? I'm not going to shoot myself. I'm going to let one of them just kill me, and also take out this dude and his kid." I'd live underground. That's what I do. Well, I mean, have you seen the trailers for the second one? It looks like they're somewhat doing shit like that. Well, good, but I'm. I'm trying to I'm trying to view this movie in the idea that there was no trailer happening in, in, in a few days. I mean, there was no sequel happening in a few days. Like at the time, this was it. This was the only example of this world we had. So I I need to I, I need to ignore the sequel. Oh, would underground actually be more dangerous? Because if you live in a cave, right, it magnifies anything you say with an echo. What if those things are underground and it echoes? I didn't say cave. I said underground. I mean like a bunker. Maybe, but it's also such that they hear the smallest shit. Not if it's like, you know, sealed behind like six, you know, three inches of steel. I want. I'm going to like the nearest military base, and I'm going underground because they're all dead. I'm assuming. Well, if not, they'll take me in because I'm a, I'm a human being survivor. No, they won't. Trust they me. Won't. I have my ways. Any military base, we want to shut down and make sure no one goes in or out. That's that's what's going to happen. I don't know. From what I see, with you know, I just it's going to completely just you know backpedal on everything I just said. But in the trailer for the sequel, <laughs> it does look like the military presence got taken out as well. Well, because it's America, you know how we react. Oh, things are attacking us. Let's do anything loud because we want to shoot and fucking bomb excessively. I think a nuke would have taken these assholes out. I mean, you know, a shotgun does if you can just open their faces. A nuke like in uh, Army of the Dead? Maybe, yeah. Nuke the perfectly walled Vegas that's not bothering anyone, yeah. <laughs> we had a lot of uh, lot of issues with that film. You can check out our sneak preview from this past Monday. <laughs> I'm still seeing people like you watch that movie over the weekend on like my various Facebook Groups I'm in talking about it and everything from like I really liked it. If you just had fun with it to like this movie was stupid. I told my dad to not bother. Uh, he told me not to bother on something too. I don't remember what it was, which means I'm probably going to stumble into it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like the scene where Blunt steps on a nail and can't say anything. That nails and feet. Fuck me up. I don't like that. It, dude, it is a really good lead up with like the bag when it gets stuck and she gets it out and you're like, oh, okay. And then, yeah, then she steps. Oh, and oh, again, the sound design for the use for it. Oh, you felt it. Thunk. Oh, <laughs> oh. and, and all, dude, like 
really from that nail scene onward, like all the scenes with Blunt in the house alone mm-hmm. are some of the most intense, like amazing, like best parts of that film to me. From like the nail to the like leading up to the childbirth scene are just fucking intense. Yeah. Uh yeah, it's uh it is a good lead up to kind of like you know, she's gonna be feeling a lot more pain in a few minutes here. Uh <laughs> ever when, since like home alone nails and feet have just gotten me so uncomfortable it, uh, dude it uh, they just hurt and you know because i know i had you i texted you about it and you watched it haunt yes I, there was a nail and foot scene in that wasn't there there was a hands in glue hands, okay i was like there was something along the lines in there so these writers just really like fucking with the oh there was the like the strip of like wood with the nails in it. Yeah, so they did have that too. Yeah. yeah. These writers really like to fuck with people's feet using nails. <laughs> they do. My God. And yeah, Haunt is another film um, by the writers of this film. Uh, let me get them real quick for you. Uh, Haunt is a Shutter exclusive uh, that I thought was better than A Quiet Place, personally. Uh Scott Beck and Brian Woods. They wrote A Quiet Place with John Krasinski, and they also wrote Haunt. Uh, solid, uh, creepy Halloween movie. I recommend it. Yeah, and also their directorial uh, debut for them. Um, like I was telling you earlier before we recorded, uh, they, if I recall correctly, they wrote that first, but it wasn't really getting picked up. Then they also had the script for A Quiet Place Ready. Krasinski, I think, got a hold of it. Really liked it. Did his writing tune-ups with them on it. You know, it blew up, became the horror phenomenon that we're talking about now. And then they were finally able to get Haunt, like, off the ground. Good for them. I'm I'm hoping they have, you know... I mean, clearly they've made a lot of money for whatever studio did A Quiet Place. You, You know off the top of your head what studio it is? I want to say Universal, but I might be wrong as shit on that. Well, again, you know, super professional podcasting here. Right. I like how we're both looking at I'm looking it up on my phone. I want to point this out right now. Quiet Place is a... Oh, Paramount Pictures. Paramount. Okay, there we go. Yeah, so they made a lot of money for Paramount. Uh, I, I bet they get to do, you know, they'll get a Stephen King project down the road or something. Yeah, that's that's the new hit thing to, to do now. I mean, get a horror success. Somebody throws you a Stephen King book and says, "Do that, do that." Or they just throw you pet cemetery for like the fourth time, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I love that the mo- the story about things that are buried and come back to life keeps getting rebooted. <laughs> uh. I just, I just think of uh, that main voice in the original movie, uh, Judge Crane. Sometimes uh, dead is better. I that just mane, hear, that thick mane in there. I just hear him anytime I see like something about the new pets that they're working on. It's like his voice just pops in my head saying that every time. <laughs> it it's true. Yeah, sometimes you know we don't need a 
third, fourth version of a movie. Sometimes we just let it die. <laughs> um, let's talk about the birth. Uh, I know that's a scene that everyone kind of goes to as like you know, definitive, and it is pretty impressive uh, <laughs> to give birth quietly. It's impossible. Uh, by the way, uh, congrats to my friend Shelly on her new baby. Oh, congrats to Shelly who I don't know, but congrats nonetheless. <laughs> I don't think she listens to the show either. I'm just very happy for her. Uh, uh, no, yeah, I agree with a lot of people. Like, this scene is probably the most intense like birthing scene I think ever committed to film. Possibly. I maybe. I don't Possibly. know about that. I, I haven't seen enough movies to make that like definitive, but it's in there. Um, yeah, like the lead up to when her like her water breaks and she's having the contractions and she has to do it quietly, which obviously we're both men, but I've heard that those are terrible to go through. So I can only imagine what it's like not being able to like scream or anything when you're going through that. Wow. To then have to get up to the bathroom and birth. By the time she gets up there, we should point out they have that scene with the bloods coming, like. She pretty much like gained a point where like this baby's ready to just fucking come out by the time she makes it to the tub. Like <laughs> this is kind of off topic, but it's a story I feel like sharing. Um, my cousin Scarlett, when she was born, I was told it was roughly like fairly similar to Alien. Um, I guess my cousin Scarlett just didn't want to wait, and within like an hour of labor, she just literally flew out like shot out onto the operating table scared the living fuck out of the doctor i've been told this story by several different family members and they all kind of match up so i think this happened (laughs) uh yeah birth it's weird and i was telling my mom earlier today that it is i i hate to you know i know this is going to sound fairly misogynistic but it is one of the perks of being a dude that i never have to deal with that yeah, I, I don't care how it sounds. I am glad I don't have to deal with it. Power to like women out there that oh, go yeah. through that. Absolutely. Nothing but praise. That's an incredible achievement. And like the fact that your bodies can do that is nothing short of miraculous. I'm just happy that I don't ever have to. Yeah, I just, yeah, sorry. Yeah, and, but and you never I, have to know what it feels like to get kicked in the nuts. So I think it's even. That's true. <laughs> That feels bad, and men are supposed to get prostate exams, which I heard feels funny. Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> yeah. We'll deal with that in 20 years. I'll take my time. I'm only 28. <laughs> we'll get um, there. Yeah. This scene, and I think what makes it even better, like, the part that really, like, I think my favorite parts of the whole scene is when you see her, like, she's finally just getting ready to say fuck it and scream, and you see the creature coming out of the corner of, like, the camera, over her and you're just like don't scream don't do it you're so close don't don't do it don't scream well it's a good thing that krasinski and his kid knew to set off those fireworks at the moment mom was given birth just you know pretty convenient convenience is convenient you notice how we skipped like half the fucking movie because most of this movie is so dull and it's just them sitting around kind of waiting for the next thing to happen. I mean, there's moments I like, like performance-wise, like uh, the scene when he takes his son out to grab the fish 
Yeah. And he, his son's like, you know, talking about the opening scene. And do you blame uh, his daughter? Because you know, his daughter's the one that gave him the gave the kid the ship. Oh, not the ship. What the fuck? The shuttle. There you go. Jesus, mind blanking. Yeah. He kind of looks at him like, no, I will, I've always loved her. Like, and that thing, like, there's. Again, I do think Krasinski really excels from like a writing, directing, and acting standpoint. The performances in this movie, and even and even in the little moments, you feel like this is a as tight knit as a family can get in this type of situation. Well, you know, families people bond through tragedy, and you know, as we've seen in every apocalypse movie ever made, people come together for the common good, especially families. Uh, I think it is weird that. They would never tell their daughter, hey, it's not your fault. Your brother died. Do you think that would be the first discussion they would have uh, instead of holding on to that, like, you know, resentment? Yeah, but I'll take it over the Army of the Dead option where, you know, the daughter's mad that he just didn't want to talk about killing his his wife because he might be going through his own emotional turmoil about it. And by the way, your friend's in love with you. And she's going to mention it right before a zombie snaps her head in half. So, yeah. yeah. So I'll take it over that any day of the week. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's just not. And I, this might be a hot take, but it is her fault. It's straight up her fault. Had put the toy down and said it's too loud. She gave the toy back. It wasn't gonna happen. So yeah, it's her. It's her fault. Blame ourselves. I hope part two brings that up again and Emily Blunt just sits her down and in sign language says, you killed him. You're just holding the shotgun while she tells her that? Or like, do it like Love Actually style with the big cards. <laughs> just you, drop the card. Killed, drop the card. Him. <laughs> drop the card, photo of the brother. <laughs> yeah, it's cold. But uh, uh, I mean, look, I I can I I get why you're probably bored by it. I don't mind these scenes before, like you know, essentially aliens attack, because I think it's a really good way of building. Because again, it's a a movie went. (coughs) Sorry, fucking allergies. Uh, It's a movie with uh, almost zero dialogue, so it's like a chance for them. To build character development through the without any fucking dialogue miraculously, so that when it gets to like some of that end scene and specifically, you know Krasinski's death, you are you do feel it. You're behind. You actually do. For me, I felt the emotion. You know when that whole scene is like, you know, I've always loved you. Signs it to her and fucking it takes him out. Like I, I was like, oh damn it. Like I I was there. I think that has a lot to do with the fact of the the before we get to the horror that buildup of character development that happens yeah I, I just i wanted more you know i feel like this and i know this is going to sound a little weird considering we are getting a sequel but i felt like this whole movie was the build-up to a movie i wanted to see like there's a better movie about to happen is what it kind of feels like well you you actually want to know more about the creatures right that too i was curious like what are these things where do they come from uh, it felt like they were going there with the newspapers and stuff. And I read that they were uh, considering making this part of the Cloverfield franchise, but thankfully that didn't happen. 
Yeah, thankfully that franchise died a quick death on its third movie. That fucking clusterfuck of a franchise. I can, we'll talk about those eventually, but there's just that's a lot to unpack the Cloverfield movie. <laughs> Got me excited with Ten Clover Lang. I actually liked it, and then I sat through Clover Paradox and went, "I don't need this anymore." I rewatched the first one fairly recently, and I liked it a lot more. I liked the first Cloverfield a lot. I didn't like it the first time, mostly because it was like the first time I'd ever seen a found footage film. And I was like, what is this? And it gave me motion sickness. But I watched it like a year ago on Netflix and was like, this is pretty good. Yeah, I remember liking it. I always like the scene when the Statue of Liberty's head like comes into camera. I remember that was the trailer and I immediately thought, oh shit, we're getting a new Godzilla movie. And no, we weren't. No, no, you're getting Abrams fucking produced <laughs> movie about a monster attacking New York. I like that scene where they're in the, the, the tunnels and the night vision comes on and there's just like a hundred little tiny crab monsters and they, they get, I think it was Lizzie Kaplan. I think so, yeah. And they just like, she explodes. Oh, no, yeah. When they're in like the little military thing yeah. and they take her behind the the curtain and you just see through the curtain her like, I think like her belly or some shit expanding and just yeah. Yeah, that's, that scene was awesome. God, we could actually probably do a whole, we would do a whole episode on Close Field one day. Yeah, we got a book of possible episodes that's like 35 pages long. This show will go as long as it needs to go. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Krasinski's Sacrifice, uh, pretty emotional. You know, I have always loved you, given his life for his kids, just ah, screaming. I thought his scream was a little weird. Like, yeah. Ah, like there was a little uneven pitch there i don't know i feel like it could have gone a second take on that there's a reason we don't have scream kings just scream queens i don't think guys can scream unless they're in a metal band the best male scream in movie history and I'm, you're probably going to disagree with me on this i don't care it is in the mummy 1999 when burns the blind guy is attacked in the caverns and he just goes like Wah! i love that scream no I'll, I'll, I'll go with you on that one Look, I think The Mummy from 99 is a damn near flawless movie, but I've watched that since I was a kid, so. It's got so many problems that are completely, like, invisible to me because of how long I've been watching that movie. <laughs> invisible, yes, but also because the movie has so much fun with its concept. Oh, it's br- it's great. It's one of the best remakes ever. It's It, it turns, you know, a, a horror movie into an adventure movie while still maintaining a lot of that horror. It's great. I love The Mummy. <laughs> And it gave us Brendan Fraser, who is one of the most underappreciated. He might be super appreciated now by people. Well, let's, let's be fair. George of the Jungle gave us Brendan Fraser. That is true. It gave us Brendan Fraser. And actually, I think I, I watched George of the Jungle before I saw The Mummy because obviously George of the Jungle was a little more family friendly or kid friendly. I watched The Mummy years before I ever saw George of the Jungle. My mom and dad went and saw The Mummy at the movies. We're disappointed that it wasn't more of a horror film. Uh, bought it on tape when it came out and showed it to me. And I was like, this is cool, but I don't want to watch most of this. It's kind of scary. And then I watched it more and more and more, and it became a favorite. Okay. See, I saw we had on tape George of the Jungle, which I watched all the time. And I saw the movie because my aunt had gone like the set that had one and two. Yeah. And when I went to her, she was like, oh, you like George of the Jungle? Oh, you, you should try this movie because, you know, obviously she knew who Brandon Fraser was. She recognized that much and my mom was like yeah sure it's fine and i loved it my part of my aunt kept aunt and mom and my other aunt 
all three of them felt the need to keep going Imhotep throughout the fucking movie to annoy me. <laughs> when I, I, we've done 130 plus episodes of this show, so I don't know if I've talked about this before, but I find it absolutely hilarious and I'm going to bring it up because George of the Jungle has already been brought up. Um, I, my cousin had George of the Jungle 2 on tape when I was a kid. It is an abysmal movie. It is terrible. But there is a scene in that movie that I have thought about almost every day since I've seen it. And it is a Kenny Rogers has a cameo in this movie. Him and the ape called ape are gambling. Like they're playing cards and Kenny Rogers, whenever he shuffles the deck, starts singing the gambler. You got to know when to hold them. He starts singing that. And apes like, could you stop singing that song please? And like the third time ape just loses his shit, jumps over the table and starts strangling Kenny Rogers. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's so out of the blue <laughs> just so damn funny and it's the only part of that movie I remember <laughs> oh my god oh. <laughs> can this be one of our best tangents right now <laughs> it, yeah I, I don't remember the steps that led us here but I'm I love it <laughs> somehow <'cause> it's <laughs> best <laughs> Oh boy! Uh, all right, let's let's backpedal back to a quiet place. <laughs> <laughs> so we finally, towards the end of the film, get to actually see what this thing looks like in full view. The creature design—it's quite intriguing. It's got like you know, it's blind. It's got huge ear parts that let it hear from miles away, and it's got like a weird bagpipe-looking head. Uh, I, yeah, I, I like the design. Um... I mean, obviously, you can kind of tell CGI is involved, but it's not like this egregious, like, the Thing 2011 use of it, that it was used just enough that it's still believable to look at. Yeah. And I, I I like the design for, like, this lead-up to seeing them and how they hunt people. I think it's a cool design. It's neat. Um, I remember reading in the trivia that the early test screenings of this film, uh, people were laughing at it. And Krasinski was like, why are they laughing? And it turns out they uh, they hadn't finished the post-production on the creatures yet. So when uh, Emily Blunt and her kids are being stalked by the creature, it's John Krasinski in a mocap suit. <laughs> so I can understand why people are laughing at that. <laughs> if they could have somehow gotten like Rain Wilson <laughs> to just bitch at John Krasinski in his little mocap suit. <laughs> Oh my god, that'd be great! Like that, see, it was, there was a scene in the office where he like impersonated every character. Uh, they could have just done that, <laughs> but like with the monster. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, it is cool to find like when they figure out how to defeat this thing with um, like loud noise plus shotgun. Uh, you get the vibe that like now they're armed with this information, they're going to take the fight to these creatures and right i hope that's what happens in part two because i would like that movie yeah no uh, i like the the scene that kind of clues you in on that when um lordar is walking through the cornfield and you see the creature like again the brilliant use of sound right there's no sign you just see it pop up behind her and her hearing aid starts fucking up and then you see the creature freaking out because her hearing is causing like almost like a sound overload 
Like, it's just too much for the creature to handle. And I thought, like, that was a cool lead-up that obviously pays off. And then when they figure out, oh, if we overload them, which is so much sound, they can't take it. We can kill them. How did most of humanity fall to these things without one person trying to scream at it in a bullhorn? Yeah, you would think the amount of, like, how loud guns are, guns are, the military actually probably could have won that one. This, yeah, introducing that loud noises take this thing down kind of, you know, retroactively makes me think, like, how did they even win? All you got to do is just, like, bullhorn or, like, you know, sonic noise or loud, like, you know, 50 caliber gun, something. Something loud enough to irritate these things, and you can take them down. Yeah. Um, who knows? Maybe it could have been, like, whatever the frequency was on that damn... Mm. That's, it could be a frequency thing. It could be a frequency. Because I know even, like, I obviously do not hunt people by sound. I'm a human being. But that frequency annoys the shit out of me. And I remember even being in the movie, like, uh, stop making that noise. Stop it. So I can see where, like, yeah, that would probably, like, be a good way to defeat a sound hunting creature. I love that scene because I can then give people their refills at an appropriate noise and be like, all right, doc, I got a Dr. Pepper here. Who has it? <laughs> Just take it <laughs> instead of having to tiptoe and like whisper. Yeah, I have bad memories of serving that movie. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll give you credit, man. Like, during like, was I happy that people for once in the theater like shut the fuck up and like watched the movie? There was no cell phones, no crying babies, at least in my showings. Uh, but at the same time, I really wanted to enjoy my popcorn and I was not a fan of hearing myself eat. I did not realize how like loud a theater can be. When there's like no one talking. Oh, don't worry. We got yeah. I've got a filmgasm fact connected to that. That's that's gonna make you laugh. <laughs> uh, with that, let's dig into the filmgasm facts. Uh, number one, the bathtub scene with Emily Blunt was done in one take. According to John Krasinski, as soon as he yelled "cut," Blunt immediately fell out of character and asked the crew, "What's everyone having for lunch?" That's a professional right there. Yeah. Well, you know what? She's uh, she's British, right? Yes. British actors have continuously complained in uh, about American style of acting. I don't know if you know that. With the whole like method acting thing, they actually think it's dumb as shit. I remember who just who recently came out and like just lambasted. Uh, was it Martin Freeman? It was Martin Freeman? Yeah. Yeah, he just ripped apart. I think Joaquin Phoenix and Jared Leto. It's awesome. Yeah. They're, dude, I, I give the Brits credit on that. Like, if you have any, I don't know if you have any like international listeners. Uh, According to British, Anchor, we do. Okay. Well, for the, the British guys out there, I love your actors more because I do like the fact that they can just, it's a job. They go in there, they can give these great performances, and sometimes in American accents, I should point out, or whatever accent they need to do. They immediately, as soon as cut is yelled, they turn it off and they're like, all right, I'm who I am. I'm a human being, my person, not the character. Hey, we guys have like Emily Blunt. That's an intense scene. She's crying, she's yelling, like it's intense. She doesn't obviously look very, you know, definition attractive there because she's going through quite an intense scene. So then to just immediately, as soon as cuts you and turn all that off, go like, hey, we guys having for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to backpedal a bit. Uh, Martin Freeman's rant, it was not Joaquin Phoenix. It was Jim Carrey. Oh, but a lot of people have actually bitched about Jim Carrey. I thought he went too far for uh, Man on the Moon. 
Have you seen that documentary, Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond? I have not. I've heard about it. I need to watch it. It's insane how much of himself he, he just ditched to fill with Andy Kaufman. Like, it was the most insane, committed performance I've ever heard of. He pissed off so many people. Like, he got in fights with Andy Kaufman's enemies. Like, it was so crazy. Like, and then immediately after, he did The Grinch. And he was like, he had to kind of fi- he had to find Jim Carrey again to then be the Grinch. It's, it's crazy. And that's why, like, don't get me wrong. Have we gotten great performances from American actors that have gone method? Absolutely. Yeah, to but is it worth it? Oh, so yeah, is it worth it to lose yourself as a human being? Like, is that really worth it? Like, look at Daniel Day Lewis's family. Does his wife like being married? So Bill the Butcher, Abraham Lincoln, Daniel Plainview, all these people randomly. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> well, his character in Last of the Mohicans, he probably was never in the house. Yeah, Actually, that's probably, the, that's probably the happiest she was. She's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> Stay <laughs> out there. Jesus Christ. I'm surprised that, like, you know, in his method for acting for Bill the Butcher, he didn't just literally kill a bunch of Irish. <laughs> he really is crazy at times. <laughs> Well, and th- this is something else to kind of point out. A lot of the British actors I've noticed, not trying to like get too into like their personal lives, they tend to stay married and they don't go method. And a lot of our American actors have relationship issues off the ass and they go full method. Maybe there's something to be said about this method acting not being good on your personal life. You mean completely erasing your personality to play a fictional character and then getting super pissed when people don't refer to you as that character? Yeah, that's probably not too good on your marriage. <laughs> well, and also, I think, you know, the Brits are classier. The Brits have elegance. Americans are a, a nasty people. And we just aren't, aren't good at that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, they, yeah, they're class. But, yeah, no, they Brits are classier, and I 100% agree with Mon Freeman and the rest of them. I think I don't think method acting's worked it. I think you should be able to go on the set, deliver a performance that's great, makes you believe the character that they're playing. And as soon as they call cut, you're a fucking human being. You treat the crew right. That pisses me off too. As I didn't do a lot of work in film, but you know, one of the many things I did before I was remotely financially stable was I did some free. PA working film and um you know it it says a lot to the happiness of crew when the actors actually treat the crews like human beings and not like peons that are just there so like yeah it, you want to piss off a crew real quick be meth and be that asshole character even when we they yell cut you want to make them happy do what Emily Bond did hey cut all right hey what's everyone having for lunch today you know like it's a collaborative effort, people. You're not the only fucking person well, there. I've said it a million times. I said it first in the Carrie episode. I remember that. Life is quick. Don't be a dick. Good words to live by. <laughs> Number two. John Krasinski has said that the single greatest compliment he received regarding the film was a tweet from Stephen King. Quote, A Quiet Place is an extraordinary piece of work. Terrific acting, but the main thing is the silence and how it makes the camera's eye open wide in a way few movies manage. Any horror movie that gets Stephen King's seal of approval is is a success. Oh yeah, and I I agree with a statement. I really believe that the 
because they talk about like when I went to film school and they told actresses the true power of acting is not in the amount of dialogue you can say or how loud you are. It's those moments of silence. And I think that's one of the things I love about this, why I love this movie so much and why I think the performances are so good is because again, they're using sign language, but they are still conveying all the emotions and info that I need to know to follow along. I agree. Yeah. No, no, uh, yeah, no argument here on that. Uh, yeah. Number three, although the film was a box office success, movie theater businesses presenting it likely grew less enthusiastic about it. That was because the film's premise about the need to maintain silence was convincing enough that many audiences at screenings grew unusually quiet themselves. As such, anyone eating in the auditorium was frowned upon severely by others in the room. <laughs> Meanwhile, concession stand sales, a major income stream for movie theaters, were notably limited for audiences of that film. So people weren't buying popcorn going to see this one. The people who did were getting dirty looks. <laughs> That's great. I don't think I got any dirty looks. I think I just definitely psyched myself out in like the first 10 minutes. And it was just like, I can't do this because I'm just hearing myself eat and I'm not doing this to anyone else. Um, with that said, like, I know that's a hit to the theaters. As someone who, you know, loves, and, you know, obviously everyone on the film guys and team, I'm sure if you're listening, loves movies, right? Loves the theater experience. So it, it bugs the living shit out of me when you, you go to the theater and you pay, looking at just yourself, average ticket price for just yourself. I'm not going to exclude people who go with families and couples and stuff like that. You're looking anywhere from, depending on say you live in, 10 to $15 a ticket, right? Depending on the state, all that stuff, taxes, uh, whatever. And then let's see, let's go on, say, make it normal. You go to such and you get your traditional popcorn and soda. That's another 10 to 15, depending on the theater and what they want to charge. So when you spend, you know, damn near 40 bucks for one movie, and you go in there and you got the people that go also go in there and they're talking loudly to their friends. They're on their phone telling their friends, yeah, I'm at the movies. Ugh. And uh, the occasional person that asks, can I get the babysitter? They bring their kid and their kid starts crying. I'm not trying to sound like I really hate these people, but I get I don't want to hear a crying baby in my movies. I'll say it. I hate those people. <laughs> yeah. If you can't get a sitter, you don't get to go to the movies. Yeah. There's a certain age where as you're, if you're a child, you don't get to go to the movies until you are an age where you understand what be quiet means. Fair enough. I'll let you say it and I'll move on. But, you know, it, it just bugs me in that, you know, we live in a world where you're, you know, everything's at, the, at our fingertips now, like news, the phone, the game, everything's just on our little fucking phones we carry around. And if you seriously can't escape your own reality, which is the purpose of a movie, for average an hour and a half, to two, depending on the movie, you know, you got those occasional three-hour ones in your Lord of the Rings, your Avengers End Games. You can't just like say, like, okay, I want to see reality and enjoy what they're giving me and getting my money's worth. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, look, man, I'm like me personally, I'm, I'm never on my phone. When I've taken dates to the movies, I don't, I'm not that person that's like kissing my date and everything. I'm like, no, sorry, I paid for both of us to see this movie. We're watching the fucking movie. Anything you want to do, lovey-dovey, we'll fucking do when we get back to my place. Not in the theater, though. 
Like, I'm very serious about, like, no, I paid to see the movie. I'm watching the fucking movie. I'm escaping reality right now. I took a date to a special screening of Galaxy Quest once, and she was, I was in, I was really, like, into her. So I, I let slide a little bit of movie talking, and I've never felt comfortable with myself since. I felt like I betrayed my ideals, and I, I've never forgiven myself for that. <laughs> I took, oh, yeah, I took one date, and she kept doing the thing where she looked at me to make, like, made the, the, the kissy face. I mainly gave in, like, the first two or three times, but by, like, the third or fourth when she did, I just kind of looked at her, like, shook my head no, and then looked right back at the movie. <laughs> I, I was a real dick. I was like, no, I'm tired of this. It was Birds of Prey, if anyone's wondering what the movie is. And I was not going to not see Holly Crown on the big screen. Played by Margot Robbie for like two hours. So, no, I'm not doing this constantly throughout the movie. Wow. That's I, that's amazing. Good for you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the movie theater is a sacred place to me. And like I've always wanted to kind of open up my own kind of indie theater. And if I ever do that, I'm going to have those little pouches that they give at concerts for your phone. And you're going to have to seal away your phone and you'll get it back after the movie. Like, that's how I would do that. Oh, I don't see why they don't. Uh, I went to, I forget how, I, somebody of mine got, back when This Is The End was coming out, like uh, special tickets, like some advanced screening of it. And they took my phone, like before you walked in, because it was advanced screening. They were like, we have to take your phone. And so, yeah, they took my phone and it was the best movie experience because obviously no one had their phone. We were all watching the latest Seth Rogen and, you know, before we went to hiding, James Franco <laughs> adventure. <laughs> and it was amazing. No, I, I agree with you. I, people need to learn, like, look, your life is not your fucking phone. There was obviously times before we had phones and you just had to watch a movie because... Well, also, as far as I'm concerned, when I'm in the movies, like your lives don't matter to me. So I don't give a shit what you have to say. I'm here to see the movie. If you're expecting an important call, if you're in the middle of a text battle, don't go to the fucking movies. <laughs> <laughs> Wait until that shit's done, then go to the movies and celebrate the fact that you don't have to deal with that anymore. Yeah, but, dude, I would shut the fuck up and watch. <laughs> yeah, I've gone to the movie theater, and if I'm like Messaging some people at the time, I'll try to tell them, like, hey, uh, if you don't hear back from me, like, if I'm sucking at replying, but aka not in the next couple hours, I'm at the movies just so you know. Like, I'm about to not be answering my phone. So I've straight up told people, like, yeah, I'm at the movies right now. Text me when the movie's over. I went to see something. I don't remember what the movie was with my grandpa. And during the movie, I got a phone call for a job interview I was really hoping I'd get. I didn't answer the phone. I afterwards I, I I called back and was like, hey, I'm still interested. And they called me back and I got the job. So yeah, it, we don't need to act on immediacy. The movie wins. Yeah. Well, I think, and it's not just like I'm sure it's like, well, just a movie. It's the fact that we live in a world where people just to me it feels like we can't have fun anymore. We can't just like escape and do something fun. It's not just movies. I think if you're going to the fucking water park or anything, like Put your phone away and just live in the moment. When you go to a concert, 
stop being the guy that record the fucking concert on your phone for the yeah. entirety. Put your phone in your pocket. Enjoy the concert you just paid for. I don't want to watch it on your phone. I didn't pay to see the concert. You did. Enjoy it. Yeah. Those are the worst guys. The worst ones are the people who film the concerts. I've always hated that. Yeah, for sure. Live in the moment. Enjoy yourself. Uh, go to the movies. I'm going to the movies twice this weekend because of the podcast. I'm looking forward to both. Same. I'm doing same. Yeah. Uh, so A Quiet Place does have one sequel set for release this Friday. That's why we're doing this. In addition to the returning cast, Killian Murphy, Jaiman Hunsu, and Scoot McNary will be in the film as well. It's getting very favorable reviews. Currently sits at a Rotten Tomato score of 92%. It, people are saying it, has, it is as good, if not better, than the first film. So. That's, yeah, that's what I've been hearing. I've been hearing uh, a lot of people praising Killian Murphy. As they seeing, should. <laughs> yes, I have been seeing consistent praise across the board with his character. So I'm very excited on what he's bringing to make him get so much praise. And I just like Killian Murphy. Very underrated actor, in my opinion. He came out recently and said that he'd be in favor of returning for 28 months later. No, he didn't. He came out and said, like, if they make it, I'm in. Oh, that would be awesome. Go back to Jim. Like, what's Jim doing all this time after? That would be great. <laughs> Get him and Naomi Harris back. That movie's amazing already. Yeah, God, they've been talking about 28 months later for fucking ever. Yeah. Danny Boyle has the rights, but Danny Boyle doesn't want to make the movie. But he also won't let anyone else make the movie. It's a very weird situation. I like how we have a lot of guys in the Hollywood system that just do not want movies that the audience wants to get made. Looking at you, Friday 13th assholes. What's going on? I don't know. I, I don't know. Hollywood doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, <laughs> so I give A Quiet Place a six. I just don't get it. I find it more boring than anything else. And I know that's on me, but I don't care. Yeah, uh, I'll have to disagree with you on this one. I give it an eight. I am definitely the majority that loves it. I think it has solid performances. The sound editing is some of the best, not just in horror, but just in film. It is, the sound editing is damn near perfect. Um, and I like the story they were telling. I'm very curious on the sequel and how they're going to expand it, especially because it, both Emily Blunt and Trunks and this have talked about how like this is an organic thing. They seem like it's, they've been coming across an injury that this isn't a forced sequel, that they did find something that they liked, that they wanted to tell to propel the story forward. So I'm very curious what they do with the, the new one. I've also heard that it, it's potentially the second part of a trilogy. So, Well, so I, I, I'm sure you've heard about the whole, like, they're suing Paramount because of the theatrical window thing. Yeah. A third one's happening already. Like, Paramount commissioned a third movie, and I think the only involvement... Krasinski has on it is like executive producer or some shit like that. It, yeah, he's not writing it. I don't even think the two uh, the two other writers are coming back for it. He, you know, Krasinski's not directing. It sounds like, no, the actors... I, I don't know what's going on with this third one. It sounds like it may not be the third one we want. Well, damn. Uh, sorry to end it on that note, but... <laughs> Go see part two and, you know, we'll at least you know, hopefully that'll be better. Yeah. This is in no way putting any shit on part two. Part two was clearly made by the original cast that wanted to make this and everyone was on board. So part two sounds like it's getting all the love. I'm just saying be wary of part three. It sounds like that may not be getting some love. Yeah. Well, anyway, thanks for listening. 
next week, yet another horror franchise is returning with The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, releasing on Friday, June 4th. And since Austin and I already covered The Conjuring back in episode 17, Jesus Christ, that was a long time ago, uh, Caleb and I will be moving right along into The Conjuring 2. Demonologist Ed and Lorraine Warren travel to North London to the neighborhood of Enfield to help a family rid themselves of a monstrous poltergeist. Along the way, a demonic nun is following Lorraine who must learn the demon's name so she can expel it back to hell. Based on the allegedly true case files of the Warrens, The Conjuring 2 is a nightmarish sequel that I can't wait to dig into next week. Very yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm excited too. Um, regardless of how I feel about the spinoffs, which we'll go more into detail with next week, I do really like the first two Conjurings. They are some of James Bond's best. So, yeah, I'm excited. I'm fully in, you know, uh, planning a full-blown Conjuring Universe marathon to prep for The Conjuring 3. So I'm going to just next week be nuking it with Conjurings, Annabelle's, a little nun. I'm going to skip La Llorona because that was garbage. But the rest of them probably going to go into it. So was the nun. I liked the nun. And I, I know that's going to be a point of contention next week. I know you did. Ah, we'll get into it next week, but I fucking hated the nun. God, I hated the nun. <laughs> Such a bad fucking movie. Okay. It, I, it is so rare that there's a horror movie that I enjoyed and you didn't. <laughs> so, yeah, that will come up next week. Uh, don't miss The African Queen on Oscar Sunday this weekend and A Quiet Place Part 2 on Monday Sneak Preview. We will, also, we will also be covering Cruella, so tune in on Monday. Until then, if creatures who hunt by sound ever invade and conquer the world, maybe you should move your family to Niagara Falls or some other giant waterfall, since that seems to be the best deterrent. See you next Wednesday, and keep watching movies. Mm-hmm.